Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Welcome to Bethesda Church and welcome to Palm Sunday. Can we give it up for B-Kids again real quick? Come on, put your hands together for them. How many of you guys enjoy grand opening week? Anybody have a good time this past week? Wonderful, wonderful week. So powerful what God did this past week and uh, just uh, still pinching ourselves that we get to do this. Uh, today, uh, I'm so excited to start a brand new series with you. Uh, before we dive into this new series, I want to encourage you, don't ever underestimate the power of an invitation, uh, especially Easter weekend, because your success rate goes up drastically if you will invite your friends, your family members, and your coworkers to come be a part of Easter at Bethesda next weekend at 9 and 11 o'clock. Well, we're starting a new series today called Bloodline, and my topic today for this is going to be called the everlasting covenant. Uh, today's going to be a little, little heavy, a little deep, um, but we are going to get somewhere really, really cool by the end of this message. I'm excited to share it with you. If you were to look up the word bloodline, that word in the dictionary simply means the direct line of descent, a pedigree, a pedigree. When most of us think of bloodlines, we probably think about animals. We, we all know that the value of certain animals, such as dogs or horses, the value goes up based on bloodline. I didn't know this, but you can pay up to a quarter of a million dollars for a horse. How many know that's, that's some pretty cool bloodline, right? That's, that's pretty awesome that, that there's that much value. And so it means the, the direct line of descent a pedigree. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 20. And if you want to flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, I'm going to tie two verses together to set this message up. Hebrews 13, verse 20. It says, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I want to say that one more time. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your seed may live. Now, I wanted to tie these two verses together for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to see that we have been given an everlasting covenant. Touch somebody and tell them real quick, everlasting covenant. Everlasting. Everlasting covenant. But I also want you to see that it is our responsibility to choose life. Okay, we have to choose life. God has made it available, but we have options to choose. Um, how many of you understand that the gospel message is a pro-life message? 
right? Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. And so we have this everlasting covenant, but you and I have to choose life if we're going to experience all the blessings that come with the covenant that God has given us. Um, before we get to that covenant, I want to build something for a few minutes to, to help you recognize the reason or the importance as to why we should activate this covenant that God has made available. Um, I'll, I'll start here. Fear and faith are antithetical to one another. And what I mean by that is that they cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Where faith is, fear is not. Where fear is, faith is not. I cannot be fearful, which is full of fear, and faithful, full of faith, at the same time. When fear is in my heart, faith is absent. When faith is in my heart, fear is absent. And I say that to you because worry and concern are not the same thing. When I say I'm concerned about something, that is different than me saying I'm worried about something. Worry is never good. We, we know that from Scripture, that it's never good to worry. Jesus said don't worry about anything. On the other hand, concern can actually help me activate my faith. If I am concerned about a certain mountain in my life, that can help me activate faith to move the mountain. So concern and worry are not the same thing. And this is important because when I look at the world, I consider myself an optimistic person. I am a glass half full person. Any, anybody optimistic in the house today? Do we have any optimistic people? All right, we, I'm going to be honest with y'all. There's more negative people at Bethesda <laughs> than positive. I'm just playing, but y'all don't show it by hands. Um, but, but I'm optimistic, but when I look at the world as a whole, when I look at the things going on around me, uh, sometimes it raises concern. Sometimes it, it causes me to wonder, uh, you know, if, if God can still do things, if God can still, you know, save people and change cities and, and regions and nations be turned around in a day. And so with, with everything going on in the world, when I declare that cities can be won, regions can be changed and nations can be turned around, I declare all of that. How many of you understand? We don't declare it based on what we see. We declare it based on our faith that we are speaking from a place of faith. Um, and, and so a lot of us, if, if we don't understand this, if we fail to activate this covenant that we're going to talk about, if we fail to activate our faith, then we will interpret our problems incorrectly. We won't see the problems for, for what they are. For example, when we look at the world, we need to understand that our problem is not an economic problem. A lot of people are quick to say it's an economic problem. Broke people will not say amen, but thinking your life and the life of a nation would be better if we had a better economy, that is foolish thinking. We have already proven that you can be the richest nation in this world and it will not solve your problems. Money without purpose will destroy you. If you don't know why God has given you wealth, then your wealth can become more destructive than your poverty. Uh, I'm preaching already. Uh, so it's not an economic problem that we face. Our problem is not a political problem. If you think a Democrat, a Republican, or an independent candidate can solve all of our problems, you're not paying attention. We've had 200 years of parties taking turns. 
And guess what? We still got a lot of problems that need to be solved. I'm preaching all right about right now. Um, it's not an economic problem. It's, it, it's not a political problem. It's not even a racial problem. <laughs> Most people want to get along. Most, uh, I won't go there. Most people do want to get along with other people and want their kids and, and grandkids to grow up in a world where people get along. Can I get an amen there? So it's not really a, a racial problem. The, these, th these things I've just mentioned, they're not the problem. They are symptoms of the problem. We do have racial issues that need to be addressed. We have economic problems that need to be addressed. But we also have to understand that you cannot buy your way out of a curse. Okay, you can't buy your way out of it. We need to choose our leaders wisely, but we also need to understand the real problem. And at some level, and I'm, this, this is kind of a bomb I'm getting ready to drop. At some level, I think we need to understand that the problem is, is that we are a nation that wants the benefits of God without serving him. We want what God brings without living in covenant. Let's say it like this. We cannot live in the blessing of God outside of the covenant with God. See, we've become accustomed to living off of the blessing and the momentum of previous generations. Just in case you don't know, that train is slowing down, baby. It's slowing down. It's kind of like a kid growing up in a wealthy house. He can live off his parents' money for a while or the prayers of his grandparents for a while, but eventually that runs out. It runs its course. And you got to make your own way. you got to make your own decisions. That's why God said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And God said, you choose. Hit your neighbor and tell him, you choose. All right? Listen, don't walk through the wrong door and then blame God for the door you walk through. Yes. <sighs> Getting loose about now. So we cannot live in the blessing of God outside of the covenant with God, and we serve a covenant-making God. We, we, God made an everlasting covenant, and this is the hope that you and I have. Uh, we can make and activate this covenant with God. The problem is, is that we usually go in a cycle of, God, we're in covenant with you, and then we break the covenant. And then we get back in covenant, and then we break the covenant. It's nothing new. Israel did it over and over again. They would enter into covenant with God, break their covenant, and then come back around to the covenant. And I think a lot of times we are the same way. Uh, it's almost like we don't realize we need to get back in covenant until we're in trouble. Until we start trying to live you know, in the middle of a, of a curse, of, a, of decisions we've made that's brought destruction on our own lives, and then it gets our attention, and then we want to, you know, make things right with God again. Um, with that, we need to know God is a God of distinction. And what I mean by that, God gave us day and night. He gave us light and darkness. God has to create a distinction so that we can see what he wants us to see. I would not know how to appreciate the light if I've never been exposed to darkness. Okay, does that make sense to everyone? The, the dark shows me that light is better. Amen? I was walking behind this wall earlier and could not see. I'd much rather have some light on my path. He, he not only gives us day and night, light and darkness, but he also gives us blessing and cursing. Without evil, good has no context to which to reveal itself. 
that, that um, if you have never seen cursing, then you will think that blessing is automatic simply because you're breathing air. So God is the God of distinction. He says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You get to choose. The choices that we make affect ourselves and our seed. How many of you understand? That's what he said in Deuteronomy 30, 19. He said, blessing, cursing, life and death, you choose. It will affect you and your offspring, you and your seed. So decisions we make impacts not only us, but impacts our family. And so blessing, everybody say blessing. Blessing Blessing gives you options in life. When you are operating in the blessing of God, it gives you options. The more cursed you are, the less options you have. A free man has more options than an imprisoned man. A man with more money has more options than a person with no money. Are you all following? So, so, y'all not following. (laughs) A person that is operating in a curse has less options. A person who is operating in blessing has more options in life. And so, when, when you're blessed, you have options and you get to spend your time working on your strengths. But when you're cursed, you have to spend all of your time managing your weaknesses and, and, and living in, I got to get better mode, you know, why did they hurt me mode, and criticizing everybody else's success mode. That's what happens when we're living in the curse. So if it's possible for people to be blessed or cursed, then it's possible, we saw, for that to be transferred to their family. He said it's for you and it's for your seed. Um, it's possible then for us to develop a culture around our own dysfunction. Let me walk this out. I have watched families develop a culture around addiction where somebody in the family is addicted and so the whole family develops a culture around the addiction. And so their whole life revolves around what the the person with the addiction is dealing with. But I've also seen where the addict gets set free and then the family falls apart because the family needs to be needed more than they need to celebrate the victory of the addict who's been set free. Does that make sense? So the world falls apart because they have a tendency to, to, they need to be needed more than they can celebrate the victory for someone. And so when we don't, in, when we don't do it God's way, we have a tendency to make our own way. To think that we can do it without God, without his blessing, and we can make it on our own. When that happens, we get distracted and we start interpreting problems the wrong way. And we start saying it's, it's the people in office, it's the economic problem, it's the racial problem. Not understanding all of those are the symptom of the problem. The real problem is a heart problem. And you cannot legislate laws that make people do the right thing. If people don't like you, you can make a law that everybody has to like you, but they're going to find another way not to like you even if they have you can't legislate righteousness you can't make people do the right thing if they decide they don't like you guess what ain't no law gonna stop it they're gonna do what they want to do because it's a heart issue and and let's talk about financially You can't print enough money to break a curse off you if you're robbing God of tithes and offerings. I'm going to preach it whether you clap or not, so you might as well get ready. We, We have to choose life. We have to choose blessing. 
And, and so we got to repair this covenant that God said is an everlasting covenant. Now, let me give you some things about a covenant, not on, not on the notes on the app, but you can write these down. When it comes to covenant, for a covenant to be made, you first of all have to have the parties to whom the covenant is being made with. Right? you got to have the people coming together. you got to have the parties. Next, you have to have, with a covenant, you have to have terms and conditions. All right? Terms and conditions. If you do this, then I will do that. I will do this for you, and, and you'll do that for me. A covenant is different than a contract because a covenant moves into a spiritual dimension that a contract does not. There is a spiritual element to a covenant. We don't do much of this in America, and I'm not saying that we should do this. But in other parts of the world, when people make a covenant, blood is involved. Now, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, because when you were little kids, you made a little covenant with your buddy, and you cut your thumb, and you shook. Y'all know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? I, I'm convinced that if, the, if you had to cut yourself to enter into a covenant, maybe a lot of people not enter into covenants, Right? Like if I said, if you want to be a covenant member of Bethesda Church, first of all, I got a knife and need to cut you. How many of you? Not, you're not joining that. But, but the point I'm making, I'm not saying we need that. I'm just saying the point I'm making is a lot of times with God, for a covenant to be established, blood had to be shed. I'm going to go ahead and say it because some of y'all don't know where I'm going. Jesus shed his blood because he was establishing an everlasting covenant with you. That's the reason blood is involved. He shed it on your behalf. And so the covenant, in its most perfect sense, will have witnesses to the covenant. You invite other people to see the covenant to, so that they can understand the covenant and they can bear witness to the covenant, but also so they can hold both parties responsible for their end of the covenant. Now, when people are getting married, we understand that's a covenant. You have the parties, you have the terms and conditions. Theologically speaking, you have an oath when people get married. The people standing there with you, you invite, and a lot of times we want people in the wedding party because they look good in a dress and they look good in a suit, but they're really there to make sure you hold up your end of the deal. I don't care if you got 150 people in your wedding party and you spend a million dollars on your wedding, which some people do, how many know none of that will make the marriage last longer? None of that's going to make it last longer. People spend a million dollars on a wedding and go to Hawaii for a year and still get divorced in less than a year. They leaving in the honeymoon. I'm done. All right, so the people there are there to help uphold and, and, and make sure you fulfill your end of the covenant. The witnesses of the covenant are there to see that what was pledged comes true. The next part of the covenant are the sanctions. If you break this covenant, it is our responsibility to impose these sanctions on you. God said to his people, today I, I am bringing to record against you heaven and earth. He said, I, I'm calling you out on this. And he, then he says, that I'm making an everlasting covenant with you. And this covenant goes like this. If you trace God making covenants, he made covenants with Adam, Abraham, Moses, all kinds of different people. And he, te he tells Abraham, that's one of the covenants we're familiar with. He says, Abraham, if you walk uprightly and if you do what I tell you to do, I'm going to do this for you. 
So there's a part that you're going to play, Abraham, but there's also a part that I'm going to play. This covenant has to be sealed. This is, this is when something is done to show that this covenant has been consummated. And what that means is the covenant starts now is what it means. It starts now. So God makes a covenant. He tells Abraham to take his promised son on the mountain to sacrifice his son. We know that Abraham did not sacrifice his son because God provided a ram caught in the thorns. And and, and the point being is that for that covenant to begin, blood had to be shed. Thankfully, it wasn't Isaac in Abraham's case. It was the ram that God provided. But either way, we see the power of the blood. Everybody say the power of the blood. All right? The power of the blood. I think we've underestimated the power of the blood. I don't think we understand what it means to plead the blood of Jesus. Some of us, we said that growing up in church, I plead the blood. And we didn't even know what we were saying. We didn't even know what it meant to really plead the blood. The covenant is consummated with the shedding of blood. When we talk about the power of the blood, the first thing we got to understand is is where the blood comes from. There's an everlasting covenant. It's the last covenant mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, but it's not really the last covenant. Watch this. It's the first covenant. It's the covenant that God made in the very beginning. Before there were angels, before Adam showed up, before there was an earth, God made a covenant in himself. And that's why it says when God couldn't find anyone, that he swore by himself. He swore by himself. Because before there was an earth, angels, or people, how many knew? It was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he made a covenant within himself and swore by himself. And so there has to be parties. This everlasting covenant is a covenant God made in himself. And let me show, you, show this to you. Revelation 13, verse 8. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. We look at that in Revelation and think, well, Jesus died and, and that's the covenant But what you got to understand is that God had Jesus crucified before any of us were here. Before the creation of the world, Jesus was the lamb that was slain. And so God starts here with an everlasting covenant with the end in mind, Jesus shedding his blood for you and I, and then goes back to the beginning and starts with Adam, the mud man. His name means mud man. And and God breathes into him, and Adam becomes a living soul. All right? The living part is not talking about his soul. It's talking about his spirit. He is a living soul. Until God breathed into Adam, Adam had no blood. I want you to watch this. This is going to be powerful. Hit your neighbor and say, pay attention. Now hit him again and say, you're going to learn something today. Have you ever wondered where Adam and Eve got their blood? Or am I the only freak? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Where, they didn't have a mom and dad. They didn't get it genetically. The man is made from the mud. He's formed, but he doesn't have any blood flowing. But Leviticus 17:11 says this, "For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood." So when God 
said in the book of Genesis, he started creating things. And the Bible says, God said. The word said implies that God said and God keeps on saying. In other words, he said, let there be light. And it implies that God is still saying, let there be light. The reason we have light is because God is still saying, let there be light. And this is so powerful because God breathed into man the breath of God, but we also see the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, I want to tie some things together that you've probably not seen before. The breath of God, the spirit of God, and the blood of Jesus are all tied together. It's all tied together. The breath of God contains in it the word of God. How do we know that? You cannot make a word without breath. You cannot say anything without breath. And we know that God is the word. The word is God because John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word of God is not just a phrase. The word of God is a person. We call him Jesus. How many know Jesus is the word? Are you all following? All right. Jesus is the word. He is the Logos. The word of God is the same as God because it came as a result of God speaking. The word of God is the thought of God that is breathed out in communication and in creation. For instance, I don't know what you're thinking until you say it. Right? Like, I can't read your mind, but I I can get it if you will say it. There is breath in your word. So God breathes into the mud man, and when he breathes into him, he breathed into him life and blood. Since God breathed it, that is still happening. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Man, though, is not only flesh, he is also soul and spirit. My soul is what I think, what I feel, what I remember, my thoughts, all of those things. That is my soul. If the life of the flesh is in the hemoglobin blood, all right, follow with me for a second. If the life of the flesh is in the blood, then what is it that gives life to the spirit? Okay, track with me. When God breathed into man the breath of life, blood began to flow in the physical sense, but what gave his spirit life was that which came from God. We know that's true because when Adam sinned, when he sinned, the scripture said that he died. How many know his blood was still pumping, his heart was still beating, but he died in the moment he transgressed, he died a spiritual death. He was alive to his senses, but he was not alive to the spirit of God. And so there was a separation that took place. Adam is what we would call, and, and I hope you don't judge me for this, but, but he was a walking dead man. I almost called this message the walking dead. Because when we're not in covenant with God, when we're not serving God, we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. We don't come alive until we come back into covenant and relationship with God so that he can breathe pneuma, the breath of God, the spirit of God into us. So Adam and Eve sinned, but then they reproduce. Cain and Abel show up, but they don't have the spirit of God or the the blood of God. Adam and Eve reproduced after a broken covenant. 
all right, after a broken covenant. When you are out of covenant with God, you will break your covenant with your neighbor. When you're out of covenant with God, you will break your covenant with your, with your brother. What was the result of Cain and Abel? They came and their blood was tainted because they received it genetically from a broken covenant from Adam and Eve. And Cain got jealous of his brother and killed him. The cross that Jesus hung on has two beams, one representing where I should be in my relationship with him, but this beam that you got the vertical, but also the horizontal, which means when I'm in covenant with God, I'll be in the right relationship with you. But when this is broken, this is also broken. And, and so we see this, and, and so the covenant is broken, but God doesn't give up on us. He makes another covenant. The breath of God comes again, and breathes on and into a young lady that we know as Mary in the New Testament. Jesus has to have blood from somewhere, but it cannot be what they operated in in the Old Testament. It couldn't be from, from bulls and goats and rams or any of that. He had to redeem us from his blood, by his blood, but his blood had to be sinless for that to happen which means that he could not get his blood from Joseph and he could not get his blood from Mary. That's why the scripture says that Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and what was birthed was in her was not from man, but was from the Holy Spirit. And so God breathed into her and she gave life to Jesus who came into the earth, the first person since Adam was created to come into the earth and his blood was unpolluted, untainted, and sinless when Jesus came. It's so powerful that we grab hold of that. His blood was pure, and he shed his blood in a trail. Jesus didn't just shed his blood in one place. He shed his blood in several places. He shed his blood in Gethsemane, in a place of prayer. And I find it interesting that he shed his blood in a garden and he took authority back in a garden, just like Adam had lost authority in a garden. Adam had said in a garden, not your will, God, but my will be done. But Jesus in a garden says, said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And the scripture says his sweat became as great drops of blood, signifying to us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his blood came out, it was showing us that he shed his blood to heal my want to, to heal my desire, so that I could get to a place where I say, not my will, but your will be done. He not only shed it at Gethsemane, but he shed it in the next place in Caiaphas's house. When he goes to Caiaphas's house, the Bible says they pulled out his beard. Isaiah the prophet prophesied about this incident. He said that, that he wrote and he said that he gave his beard to those who plucked it out. 
And Isaiah wrote about this. The soldiers who beat him, beat him so bad that Jesus became unrecognizable because he bled from his face so profusely. He bled from his face to heal my image so that when I look in the mirror, I don't have to hate what I see, but I can look in the mirror and know that God has healed my image, that he was willing to die for me even if I don't like myself. The next place he shed his blood was Pilate's place. They took the whip, gave him the lashings, and the blood came out of his back, showing us that by his stripes, we are healed. That physical healing was paid for by the stripes on Jesus' back and the blood that came out. There's a trail of blood from Gethsemane all the way to Pilate's house, and it's not Joseph's blood. It's not Mary's blood, and we hold Mary in high regard, but she also needed to be saved. Are you all in here? It was the blood of Jesus. Then he shed it again with the crown of thorns. He sheds his blood for the healing of my mind. To heal my thinking. To give me a new perspective. Goes from the crown of thorns to Golgotha. The scripture says they continued to beat him and he lost a ton of blood. Because they were not done and God was not done offering the sacrifice. They put nails at Golgotha. They put nails in his hands. And his blood was shed again to show to us that whatever I put my hands to, God will bless. That I'm not to use my hands to strike my brother or to commit violence, but I'm actually to use my hands to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. He went on to have his feet pierced, which shows us that God will heal my walk that I can walk uprightly before God and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me on to pierce him in his side and his blood came out. The scripture says that when they pierced him in his side, that blood mingled with water came out which are both elements of human birth. And just like Adam had a hole in his side to be in relationship with Eve because God pulled Eve out of his side, when they pierced Jesus' side, it's God's way of saying, I'm healing your relationships. I'm healing your family. I'm making it possible for you to come alongside me and be a part of the family of God. And so when I plead the blood of Jesus, I'm pleading it over my mind. I'm pleading it over my image, over my work, over my walk, over my relationships, over my community, over my fellowship. I plead the blood over this house that everything we do would lift Jesus up. We plead the blood over every tormenting spirit that would come against us. When Jesus poured his blood out, it was so that I could be healed in every area of my life. And my relationships and my mind every part of me can be healed it's an everlasting covenant see with God intent is counted as action this is so important intent is counted as action Abraham was referred to as sacrificing Isaac because he intended to Not because he ever carried it out. See, you can give something with the wrong motivation and it doesn't count. Because God counts your intent and motivation as more important than the action done. See, you can do the right thing with the wrong spirit. 
You can do a good thing with the wrong attitude. If all that is true and Jesus is slain from, from the foundation of the world, that means that before anything was created, in the heart of God, hear, hear me today, before anything was created, in the heart of God, God made a covenant within himself and intended that one day he would ratify the deal and seal the deal with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Before we ever got here, the moment he intended it was the moment it was done. So Jesus comes as a lamb who is already slain. He has yet to shed innocent blood, but the blood was already shed with the intent of God's heart. God started with the end, with Jesus dying for you and I, and then goes back to the beginning and brings us up to speed. Look at Hebrews 13, 20 again. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Everybody say everlasting covenant. All right, it's the last covenant mentioned, but it's also the first covenant. God started with Jesus being slain. Is everybody getting that? He started there. Now look at Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. This is our last verse. He says, now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. In the Old Testament, with the Old Covenant, God starts with this everlasting covenant that we're talking about. And that is where God is going to end up. But the everlasting covenant is also the first covenant. The first covenant is not with Adam. God made a covenant before Adam showed up, a covenant within himself. In his own counsel, he swore by himself. When there was no one else, the scripture says that God swore by himself. He made the terms, he made the conditions, and he sealed it 2,000 years later. He sealed it through the blood of Jesus. And so God shows us throughout the Old Testament how this works. And so he gives us covenants with Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Ruth, Esther, all these patriarchs that we love reading about. And he shows us how this thing works. I don't want you to think I'm preaching heresy or you get offended by this, but those people lived by faith, all right? They did what God told them to do, but none of those people were new creatures. That's why the scripture says that the Spirit of God would come on them and they would do something supernatural and then the Spirit of God would leave. It's because they were not new creatures. I'm gonna take it a step further so you get it. They were not born again. Some of y'all are struggling, but you couldn't be born again until Jesus came. Are you following? Jesus had to come, had to die before people could be born again. They were justified by the Mosaic law. So they were justified by law, obedience to the law, regulation, sacrifices of animals. They had to do all these things, but they were showing us because watch, God is a God of distinction. We can't see how valuable the blood of Jesus is on the cross without seeing all they went through with blood, with the blood of bulls and goats and rams. How many of the temple in the Old Testament was messy? They slaughtered animals all day long. 
And the priest got to go in one time, one day a year, but he had to make atonement for himself before he could make atonement with the people because he needed to be covered just as much as the people needed to be covered. But how many are thankful that Jesus didn't have to die to cover himself? He died to cover you. Come on, somebody. He sacrificed himself to cover you. He's a God of distinction. Stay standing. I'm going to quit in a second. Come on, everybody up. Everybody up. Now, what this shows us, everything they did in the Old Testament, this will cover you, but it will not save you. It got them through, but it did not save them. All the people that had to operate by those principles, they all died. How many know Noah died? David died. They died. They, they did great things, but they, they died. And they went to a place. Some of y'all are going to go home and study your Bible, which is a good thing. They went to a place called Abraham's bosom. They didn't go to hell because the devil didn't have charge over them. But they didn't make it to heaven yet because Jesus hadn't opened up a way yet. So they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. And the scripture says that Jesus... When he was crucified, he went into the lower parts of the earth. That's why I read to you. How can he ascend unless he first descend? And so Jesus went to the lower parts of the earth, and the scripture says he preached himself to all those that had died. Can you imagine Jesus walking in there and preaching himself to Noah and saying, Hey, Noah, you built the ark. That's cool. But I am the ark. I am the one that saves everyone. David, you took out giants. But I'm the real giant slayer. I'm the one who went from a shepherd to a king. Joseph, you're here because your father favored you. But I'm here because my daddy has favored me. Oh, come on, somebody. He preached himself. And when he got up, Scripture says they got up. He led captivity captive. Come on, somebody, if you're thankful. For the blood of Jesus, who has made an everlasting covenant with you and I. Come on, give him about 10 seconds of praise today. Yeah! As a God of a distinction, we can't see how powerful the cross is without seeing all the sacrifices they made in the Old Testament. But Jesus... He shed his blood one more place. I didn't tell you that one. The scripture says that he didn't take the blood of bulls and goats into the heavenly sanctuary. It says that he took his own blood. And that he had to go in and not do it multiple times. But he went in once and for all. Made the sacrifice for you and I. He sprinkled his own blood. He made a way with his own blood so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can you take about 20 seconds and let's give God praise for his blood. Come on, it's not bulls and goats and rams. And it's not because you're all that in a bag of chips. 
It's because he paid a price we couldn't pay, offering himself and his own blood. I am so thankful for his blood that covers me. We usually stop talking about the blood at Calvary. But Jesus offered his own blood in the heavenly sanctuary. And what he was doing in that moment was opening up a way for you to get there. Jesus has made a way. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking around for the next couple of moments. If you're in this place today and you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to choose life. He has set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You get to choose. He has made a way. He has provided atonement for you. He has become the sacrifice for you. Scripture is very clear that we just put our faith in his finished work, in what Jesus has done. So if you need to be saved today, or you say, Pastor, I want to be saved. I want to choose life today. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to choose life today. Thanks for this hand over here. God bless you. Anyone else say, that's me. Thanks for this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you just show me by the raising, another one back there. God bless you. I see it all the way back in the back. God bless you here in the middle. God bless you there in the middle. See that hand? Awesome. Anyone else say, that's me, Pastor. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. Anyone else? Let's pray together. Every voice lifted. I think there's about five hands that went up. We're going to welcome them into the family of God. Every voice lifted. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate those people today. Yeah. and staff if you would come get in place we're going to do one more song if you need prayer please don't miss this opportunity and I just want to say real quick before I go and sit down and rest for a moment that if if this is your first time here at Bethesda Church thank you so much for being with us Bethesda one more time will you let the guests know you appreciate them being in house with us truly is an honor to have you we're going to do one more song and we're going to open up these altars if you need prayer Come and receive prayer. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.